Hello. Before we start today's podcast, we would like to address the recent events surrounding the Don't Say Gay bill being handled in Florida at the moment, and the Walt Disney Company's response to it. First and foremost, the issue of LGBTQIA rights is not political, and it never has been. This is a human rights issue. This is not our podcast taking a political stance, although I would not be shy to do so, but a stance on human rights. This is why Bob Chapek's actions over the prior weeks, presiding as the CEO of the Walt Disney Company, is so disheartening and frustrating. Chapek is not willing to give the LGBTQ cast members the same respect as he does others, cowardly hiding behind flimsy make goods as he stumbles from one poorly worded statement to another. Even though he finally condemned this hateful, awful bill and paused political donations in the state of Florida, it was too little. Too late, I don't believe he is truly an ally. At this time, I don't see a way he can earn back anybody's trust, or even if he deserves it. That said, today our podcast concerns two topics that come directly from that same company, and I still stand behind the discussion. Despite what the Supreme Court wants us to believe, corporations are not one singular person. Chapek does not define the myriad of true, earnest talent from those artists of a diverse background, And many who are participating in these walkouts are members of the LGBTQ community and have spoken out over the recent weeks. Such talent does not deserve to be shut out from shining solely due to the actions of one severely out-of-touch, out-of-place CEO and his incompetent management staff. Today, we celebrate those talents and those talents only. Of course, this fight does not stop at just Florida, as many other anti-LGBTQ legislation has been introduced across the country. If you would like to help out about this and other issues affecting queer youth, we highly suggest donating to the Trevor Project, Zebra Coalition, Equality Florida, GLAD, and the ACLU, among many other charities. Thank you and enjoy the episode. Calling all cars, calling all cars. Michael Eisner seeks franchise out of 30s comic strip. Finds Batman rights taken by rival Warner Brothers. Dick Tracy now called the head franchise, star and theme park attraction. Tour scene with Tommy guns wreaking havoc. This dispatcher can't believe that this was actually going to be in a Disney theme park. Tracy, do something. I'm on my way. Welcome, dreamers of all ages, to another episode of Unbuilt, an unrealized theme park podcast. With me here today, as always, is my co-host, Ryan Dorman. How is your Friday going? How is my Friday? Oh, I just dropped like $65 on gasoline. That's how my Friday's going. I start the podcast bringing the real world back into it. Nobody (laughs) wants to hear that. (laughs) Nobody wants to hear about just how expensive gas is right now. in that's right march of 2022 like as if it's going to be different if you're listening to this in like july 2022 
Yeah, it'll be a nice six dollars. <laughs> well, I don't know what it is over over on your neck of the woods, but over it is, here, yeah, it's finally getting up to four fifty. It's four fifty. Yeah, it's. Um, I actually paid. Um, went to Costco because my parents have a Costco membership, and it's a little mm. lower there. It was three ninety. Um, that's yeah. That's pretty good. That's, that's pretty, pretty good. Easy. My mom just got gas, and she said it was four twenty. Um, Whoa, and that's a discounted gas. That's that's at, at Costco. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, see, this is why we go back in time for this show because nothing pleasant ever happens today. <laughs> well, no, whatever you do in the not, next segment, do not bring me back to the present. <laughs> I mean, hell, nothing ever happens good and bad in the present. We don't talk about things that ever happen whatsoever. We we live in no, that's true. imagination that's true. land. <laughs> the gas is free. Yeah, exactly. Gas is five cents a gallon. <laughs> Why wouldn't it just be free in imagination land? Why would you got to make money somehow. <laughs> There's still capitalism in yeah, imagination Yeah, exactly. Land. Except that you can afford things from it's like kind of like the uh, 1920s instead. Uh so me myself uh I actually just watched Turning Red the new Pixar film. Oh, how was, was that? It that was, just came out on Disney Plus, yes, I think. Yeah, it did because yeah. God forbid we, you know, see a Pixar film in theaters anymore. No, no, no. One will come to theaters that's inspired by 70s French New Wave movies, yeah. right? <laughs> Uh, but it was really good. Um, I enjoyed it. Are you planning on seeing it? Absolutely. Yeah, it yeah. looks like it's pretty good. Yeah. In fact, I might watch it after we're done recording. <laughs> to be honest with you, I didn't even think to watch it yet. Uh, you know, after I watched it, it kind of occurred to me, are you aware of what happened with uh, Brave, the uh, 2012 uh, Pixar movie of Merida? Uh, more, ge- I mean, generally, but explain it again to the audience for those who might not know. <laughs> okay, so the original director of Brave was Brenda Chapman, and uh, through various Mac mostly having to do with uh, now long gone (laughs) president of Pixar, John Lasseter. She was thrown off the project and kicked out of Pixar and replaced last minute with Mark Andrews. And Mm -hmm. the entire film is uh, about a mother and daughter relationship with animal transformations. And I watched that and I'm just thinking back. It's like, wait a second. Turning Red is the first finished Pixar film with uh, a female director and it has a mother-daughter relationship and it has a lot of animal transformations in it. So it just took an, another uh, legacy, <laughs> another generation of CEOs. 10 years for them to make Brave again, but actually getting it right. <laughs> Actually, getting it morally right by being directed by a woman. Well, it's a uh, Domi Shi. Domi right? Shi, yeah, who directed yeah. Bao. Right, which is I remember being. I really liked, of course, Bao. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people did. That was like a particularly popular short. Is that Incredibles two that opened with? Yes, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think it was with Incredibles two. Yeah. Yeah, which is a absolutely hilarious. I think a hilarious double duo there. A, a good <laughs> short and a bad movie. <laughs> It is definitely better than the film itself. Yes. Was the was this any good? Uh, uh, what did you think of Turning Red? Like more generally, I, I and compared was... to more recent Pixar movies yeah, I, like Luca, I, I thought it was really good. I didn't like it as much as I did Luca. I think Luca mm. had a probably a stronger story overall and a better little vibe. I thought mm-hmm. that Turning Red the the story itself was a tiny bit wrote um mm. but uh the actual you know that there's lots of charm there's lots of humor the uh film is a lot more steeped in its 
pop culture, I was surprised. Then hmm. usual, um, they reference The Simpsons actually at one point. Oh, no. It's supposed really a tiny bit. It's like a tiny little right. thing. It's no big deal. They don't show a clip of the show, um, but they it takes place in 2002. So they have like Tamagotchis and boy bands in it. And I really, really enjoy like kind of the nostalgia because that's when I was in middle school was hmm. 2002. Um, so I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, it does take place, however, in Toronto, which I know, I guess Canada is just so much of a foreign land to us that uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a tiny bit of difference there. But you know, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, not my favorite Pixar, not my like top five Pixar, but good enjoyable movie that will probably be better than Lightyear. Oh, well, that's probably, I guess it's not out yet, but that doesn't seem like it would be too hard. I think it's interesting that Pixar, you, as you put it, is very 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 light on any kind of dating references. Uh perhaps aside from Toy Story, right? Uh which of course references many timeless though toys. Yeah. Um it's an, it's odd for a Pixar movie to dive into things that would be culturally relevant nowadays well, that uh, especially was it, something named exactly well that's the thing um i don't think it's like culturally relevant it's it's supposed to be diving into the nostalgia I, exactly yeah I, I could see that i mean i guess a lot of disney movies though are um period pieces right mm-hmm. uh, or at least like fictional period pieces so it's maybe not as necessary but so anyways uh we're actually going to be going even further back than 2002 in our episode today we'll be going back to the 1990s but why don't we go even longer than that in fact let's go long long ago in a galaxy far far away for our actually got built segment So here we are in our actually got built segment, and we have to talk about something that feels like we were discussing this on the pre-show. Uh, this uh, we're recording this on March 11th, and the actual thing opened only 11 days ago, and yet it feels like a lifetime ago. But mm-hmm. we do want to talk about it. Uh, so finally, this was um, announced in 2017. In fact, remember we were doing this on our inaugural Boardwalk Talk uh, when we were recovering the 2017 D23 Expo. And that is that was, really when we discussed this? this is, yes, that's when this got announced. Yeah. Was oh the God. Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser, uh, known then as the Star Wars 360 Immersion Hotel. And I remember when they uh, first had surveys for this, and people said, oh, they're never going to build this. They're never going <laughs> to build this. And they did. They built it, and it costs approximately five to six thousand dollars for two people. And but the inaugural cruises did go out, and people who have the money to spend on it really, really enjoyed it. Now there is a lot of discussion out in the world about how this is probably not worth the price, but not only that, but it is blocking out most consumers and therefore is probably ethically dubious to be advertising this whatsoever. But besides all those moral quandaries, 
I will have to say I did watch all the YouTube videos and it looks pretty cool. Did you mm-hmm. watch the YouTube videos and the vlogs? I watched a variety of, of videos, mostly like action videos of things that were happening and not really the individual experience mm-hmm. of, the, of the thing. But I, I have seen what seems like a majority of the offerings, at least in pieces uh, of them. Okay. And what are your thoughts? What are my thoughts? Well, one thing I want to address one interesting thing about what you had said previously is that I've actually, yeah, I've seen some people who are claiming that this is advertising is ethically dubious. Even the thing is like ethically dubious, which is confusing to me because Disney itself prices 95% of like people on earth. (laughs) Like Disney, it's not, it's an expensive hobby. So I don't really, it's a luxury. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's the theme parks themselves are a luxury. And of course this is more of a luxury than I think I, could afford at least like right now if not ever but i i do think that you know this is not really the place to be talking about whether it's okay to charge that much money because if you ask that then i ask is it even okay to charge as much money as they currently do nonetheless it, it it seems like at least from an outside observer who's put no money into this thing and who who hasn't experienced it it's a particularly interesting piece of immersive theme park content <laughs> you know, like I, there's not much you can really criticize it in so far that like it it shot for a job and it completed it it, it right. wanted to do an immersive star wars hotel and it did it um and it did it with very few if any concessions mm. what's interesting to me about it is that uh, it does feel like they pulled very little punches when it right. came to it. And I know a lot of people like to make fun of stuff like Star Wars bingo and the dance lessons. I think people are looking at it at too much of a surface level on that because I think they're they're juggling so many balls at once and they want to they want to appeal to to as much possible for anybody who's going on this is that they have to appear like they're a cruise but that there's also something going on underneath because there are these levels of play that everybody can engage in. So you can engage in the LARP or you can play space bingo. Now, if you are with a family, um, obviously you're not paying $5,000 per person, which I think is a common misconception. Is that people think, oh my gosh, it's what is that, ten thousand dollars if it's a couple, and then it's like twenty thousand dollars if you're a family. It's actually not that. You're paying per room. You're not actually paying per person. So it's um, so for, for a family of four, it's six thousand dollars. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because the room has like a king bed, two uh two bunk beds, which are apparently pretty spacious but according to lentesta they're kind of like uncomfortable i guess mm-hmm. i don't know um because i guess the mattress is a little firm and they said they're working on possibly being able to trade out the mattresses as things go along but i think that's a little difficult though for the price point you should be able to do that um right because of how many things they're doing at once right exactly um, yeah, that, and it completely makes sense apparently the room allows for a roll away. So if you want to do five people in a room, you could. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are actually people like on Facebook who are like talking to each other, 5,000. And one, you know, each pays like a uh, thousand dollars 
and they all go into one room to do it. So I, I guess uh-huh. there are like little loopholes and stuff like that. But from from what I can see in general is if you have two kids and the kids are apparently are loving this. Have you seen all the videos of the kids just going over the moon and you have a mom and a dad and the dad wants to LARP, but the mom doesn't want the LARP and the kids want to LARP. So the mom can play Space Bingo while the kids do the LARPing with the dad or something like that or vice versa. And of course, there are couples and the, one of the couples doesn't want to do it and, the, and one and the other half of the couples do want to do it. So they're engaging in all the character interactions and doing all the uh, scheduled activities while the others don't. It's pretty much like trying to juggle so many balls at once. I really do commend that. And I think the vloggers are just capturing everything. I think the detractors are focusing on one element versus not capturing another, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I think I understand what you're saying. I, you know, the, the idea that this thing isn't impressive, I think, is uncontestable. I don't think you could argue that it right. isn't a massively impressive piece of, uh, of of content that Disney has delivered. And I use content very specifically here in a mm-hmm. kind of passive aggressive way that I, I do think that, you know, LARPing is not something I'm completely into, but it mm-hmm. seems like the draw of something like a Star Cruiser is in that it is another piece of the Disney Star Wars TM puzzle. Okay. Right? So I, I think that one, I, I think that this thing has a very specific set of possible fans Mm-hmm. That makes me my, my interest in this thing is not really as much in the actual Star Cruiser, but more in the fact that a lot of the discussions have resided upon, you know, how much have people been enjoying this thing? Right. And if we come at it from an objective sense of like food and or, or what are they what's on to offer? I think it's like inarguably impressive. Mm-hmm. But I do like I don't know. I'm having trouble listening to a lot of the people who like it because I see two groups of people, people who are dedicated to Star Wars so much so that they were going to love it not anyways. All right. Or people who are paying six thousand mm-hmm. dollars. And it's like, you know, unless you're like rich, rich, that's a lot of money. And right. it's hard to leave something like that and say, I hated it. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe you do, but I think I'd probably drive my car off the side of a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> like go for the insurance money if I didn't like it. Um and- I don't know. I, I really don't want to assume some people at bad faith. Like, well, like with like Len Testa, he said, you know, he really, really enjoyed it. But the way he would define it isn't worth it. He said, you know, if you have toured the entire United States and if you toured Europe and stuff like that, and you want to do something, you know, new, then he said it was worth it. Right. So, so it's it's kind of in that realm of it's good when you've done everything else. Yeah, it, it seems like it's a new thing. It's a new mm-hmm. idea. Right. It's, it's, I mean, you know, you see what's fascinating is that I think the only thing I can com- compare it to within the space is something like uh, a, a Meow Wolf or a highly immersive, individual oriented, you know, obviously there's LARPing and there's like a, right. a, a schedule here, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a little different. But the idea that you can enter a fully immersive area that you are essentially free to maneuver, maneuver however about. you please. And that's an interesting point because, I, I mean, I've been to Omega Mark here in Vegas. And the one difference about Meow Wolf and 
the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser is that not only is there a distinct story that plays out over a number of days in the Star Cruiser, but there's also a finite number of people and there's also a lot of, there's enough bays to cover the limited amount of people for the gamified elements. And that's one of the problems with Meow Wolf is that the gamifying and the story playing is overwhelmed by the amount of crowds it gets. Right. So that is a problem. The all the cast members and the people there, they're really embedded into the story, but a lot of the story elements are are told via videos and stuff like that whereas in the Galactic Star Cruiser, it is very much told by the characters, the live interaction characters there who are are incredible like the alien who is the well, she's like the uh musician for Gaia, who's the singer. And right. She has like the moving mouth and stuff like that. And she's this green alien. It's like uh, incredible that they pulled that off. Uh, and then again, also Meowth is $35 a pop. Right. <laughs> so you have that fact too, that it's much cheaper to do. Um, although you don't sleep at Meowth itself. That's the one thing <laughs> it's missing. Yeah, exactly. A, a uh, hotel component. <laughs> Well, so one thing that I that I, I I hesitate a little bit with this actual development is the limited time that you have access to the to the Star Cruiser, and that being mm-hmm. like two days, I think. Yeah, two, two days. Which, for a high price point, I'm hesitant to anything that's going to require such a cramming of the schedule. I don't think it's been that big of an issue. Well, well, let me rephrase. I've heard some people who are concerned or have been concerned on their vacations that they might not have enough time yeah, to do I've heard what that. they want to do. And that's fine. There's actually no problem with a theme park that is so complex that you can't experience everything at the same time. That's Disney World in general. Uh, the problem is, and where I think there might be some difficulty, is when it's I know exactly unreasonable to, to expect yeah. somebody to come back. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think this is less of a criticism of the creative direction and more of a question if the business model is actually sustainable for future opportunities. You know, you can definitely, here, here's the thing. We're going to see for about a year, right? Massive Star Wars super fans across the internet, across the world, come make a, a religious-like pilgrimage mm-hmm. to the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. And that will be incredibly successful. I wonder, though, what the ability is for a replay of one of these things. A lot of people say it's very replayable because it's doubtful. You have to follow it and track it immensely in order to do many things. And one trip, you will never, ever, ever get to see everything because there is like an activity where you go on the bridge Mm -hmm. and you go on the bridge and you do a session where you learn how to control the bridge and in there's at least three different things that can happen in that portion right nobody will ever 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 be able to see all three it's not possible and there's something that you have to do on bot two and if you do not do this one task you will not be able to get to see spoiler alert um if there's anybody (laughs) If there's anybody listening to this podcast who can afford the six thousand dollar price, um, please hit me up. <laughs> uh, I would love some money. Um, <laughs> uh, but spoiler, uh, there's a thing that you have to do on Batu that will allow you to see that effect with the Yoda hologram that appears out of nowhere, and uh, you have to do that. 
or else you're not going to see it. Well, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, so so the ability, there being replayability is one thing, mm-hmm. right? But what is the feasibility of something like that? Right. Perhaps you're, like, you know, the one person, getting one person to drop $3,000 or $6,000, excuse me, mm-hmm. is a pretty strong ask. There's a reason why you really don't see it. Now, obviously, full Disney trips can, let me remind the audience, get upwards of $6,000 at some of the higher level hotels. But... That's well, but usually, it's more than two days. Exactly right. It's it's not for an eight like a seven eight day trip. And is this is this experience a thing that somebody would want to go do again? Just because there are other options, right? Mm-hmm. Um, does not necessity necessarily mean that somebody's going to want to make this splurge twice. Or I could see staying once on a special occasion at the boardwalk and get pretty expensive. Yeah. Right. Or maybe Grand Californian is a better example. Mm-hmm. That's a, a really, a really expensive hotel. And I could see doing it once. And mm-hmm. I could see going to one of the more fancy restaurants, right? Like uh, mm-hmm. Artist Point or even like, you know, do like one of the um, the chef's tables or something. Right. I have an, an entire menu of options that I could choose there. But the fact that I have other options does not necessarily mean that I'm going to make the the trip again mm-hmm. because it was a particularly expensive splurge you know who are the people who could do this thing star wars fans are they going to come back twice that's i think something disney is probably thinking about you know are, how how do you keep people in this cycle if there's only a limited number of star wars fans otherwise that's, there's just millions of star wars fans right well that's a great Which, question and it depends on whether or not uh the rich white whales that they (laughs) want to attract with this are so into this that they will come multiple times and it seems like it seems like it has that effect on people and it's not necessarily seeming like it's selling out super fast it is selling out but it's not selling out super fast to where those really rich people who come away impressed can book for like six months down the road again The question is, is how many times can they milk that alongside the people who are doing the pilgrimage to this Star Wars mecca? Because I, I, you know, I think it's going to be cool for a little bit. (laughs) But Disney can only sustain – I mean, di- not, not that the parks are hurting and not that there aren't a mm-hmm. massive number of Star Wars fans, to be clear. But I, I, I just wonder if we'll ever see something like this again just because it, it is going to be a bit of a difficult thing to do two years down the line, right? Right. And let's even say that – we let's go those two years down the line and let's – excuse me, say that they are continuing to see repeat customers. Well, in the age of the internet, a two-day experience, no matter how complicated – uh, will become dated. It will become mm-hmm. old. Not that it's bad, but it'll just become familiar. Right. And uh, even if you're not interacting with it, like Batu, I think is a prime example. When Pride okay. Batu opened, the the first trip was exciting and you explore a lot. But now that all of us are now particularly familiar with the the architecture and the design and the layout. It's not nearly the same thing. Is Disney going to be creating new storylines, new dining opportunities, and new things like that? You know, how long will this Star Cruiser be open? Right. Uh, will they and- just be running the same show every day for the next seven years? TGI Scratchies. <laughs> it must be wonderful to ring in the new year over and over and over. Please kill me. I think that uh, it depends on when they start to see things 
loosen as far as bookings and such go to where, okay, mm. we need to spice it up. We need to do something new to kind of recreate that uh, that revenue stream. The one thing that has me a little upset is that very, very quickly on, you can see that a lot of things that were promised in Galaxy's Edge has kind mm. of been pushed behind this paywall. I'm not a fan of that. Like the Ray kylo fight, it very much should have been that should have been a show you can see in galaxy's edge that should not be the f- grand finale of this six thousand dollar star wars thing and all these character interactions which were kind of presence in present in galaxy's edge like the whole chewbacca thing running around you could that still happened in galaxy's edge it kind right. of went away because of the the covid pandemic and we you know with stormtroopers and such as well but i am a little well peeved that it is not present in Batu, but is instead much more present on this the Star Cruiser, which doesn't uh, an admiral job on all fronts. It it kind of reminds me a little bit of the Avengers Club, um, right? For for a lot of things, but the Avengers Club, you only had to pay, pay a small cover fee to do all of that great live entertainment. And now again, like not to sound like a broken record, Disney's putting this for six thousand dollars. You have to do it instead now. No, I absolutely I understand the 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 hesitation there. I wonder some of it does seem like it was an expense thing. Like these promises in the beginning, I think with Galaxy's Edge were probably were flawed. Flawed. Right. Yeah. They shouldn't have promised these things mm-hmm. because I don't think you could do them like they wanted to. Yeah. Um that being said, you're right about the Ray and Kylo fight. That's irrational in that it couldn't be done well, no, just up no, on a up on a thing. I mean they do the it thing, at they, Avengers Campus, right? But that's the thing. Not only did they do it at Avengers Campus, they did it at the premiere, the, the grand That's opening right. of Rise of the Resistance, and they used the catwalks that they built to do it in. <laughs> the catwalks exist. These rooftops exist. They made them for these entertainment opportunities. And instead of doing them in the land itself, they, they want to, because JPEG, again, doesn't want to pay for these equity actors. And right. we have a we lot of issues for with the... Bob JPEG right now, but right. like, there's so many flaws and just things that he is unwilling to do, and it just shows itself. And he's unwilling to do it unless somebody was willing to pay their life savings to see it. Right now, that is the biggest problem with the Disney ethos is that they just keep aiming higher and higher for bigger, bigger profit margins and not thinking about a way to you know, provide a, a quality experience for most people. Yeah, no, I abs- absolutely. <sighs> I, I look at this. I look at this thing and I think there's some neat ideas that are going on here. Why weren't these things right? Brought to Galaxy's Edge. Right. Do these things benefit a lot of them from being in a gated experience, right? And what I guess mm-hmm. what I mean by that is there are certainly going to be things that could only be done with something that is perhaps gated to groups, like a tour guide system. Mm-hmm. So all of the small little LARPing experiences where you can go into the engine room and blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, blah. Much better, I think, in a special 
area where you can guarantee that everybody involved is on the same page, mm-hmm. which is difficult to do in Galaxy's Edge, right? You go to Oga's and you might be trying to get into the Star Wars mood and some guy is booking his fast pass for uh, uh, for Rock and Roller Coaster. Right. And it's like, well, okay. And obviously that's going to be a difficulty with this anyways. So, mm-hmm. you know, ignoring that. But I do think that things like a Star Wars restaurant, you know, a lightsaber duel, uh, yeah, that's when you start to get to the point where it's like, is this necessarily something worth $6,000? And more importantly, when you actually purchase it and you drop the money, you look at what you're getting and you're saying, okay, am I paying $6,000 because it's worth $6,000 or am I paying it because I can't get it for the base price? Right. Right. Like it's like they threw a premium on something that probably isn't worth that much money. I think I would be less harsh on this. Mm. If they had the fights and a lot of more character interaction of Galaxy's Edge and the difference, the difference that the Star Cruiser should be is the personalization. Because if you do watch that, did you did you watch the grand finale? The between uh, Kylo Ren and uh, just the uh, entire Ray. thing, like the entire I, finale, not just the fight. Oh, I only saw the fight. You only saw the fight. Does, okay, yeah. so there is this gigantic finale that happens that is good 20 25 minutes long it's like a 20 to 25 minute long show that happens between a lot of people and the the ray and kylo fight is like the end of it and there is a lot of calling out by the characters calling out people like actual people and it is supposed to be a culmination of everything that you've done and there is a personal touch that happens and a lot of like group interaction you you affect things and that that should be the difference it shouldn't be the fact that you will never see any of this in galaxy's edge it should be the personal touch and you affecting it and you really having that difference that should be what it makes it the like the six thousand dollar upcharge absolutely Mm -hmm. i do think that that's absolutely the case the the idea that i saw i did see a video um of a kid who was talking with some imperial spy i think like that and the the guy kept knowing his name or something you know it it does seem like that is a that is something that you couldn't get in a in a general theme park um where where i think the money is is maybe not this price range but certainly a higher price range might be something that is yeah. justified. I, I I feel a little you know weird about the fact that a lot of the things that are in it I don't think are worth that level of money. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's the personalized experiences, right? But mm-hmm. should there not just be a Star Wars restaurant as it is? Right. Um, you know, <laughs> You're right. There. And, and additionally, one thing, and this is a actually more of a creative, excuse me, nitpick, is that I do think one of the more beautiful parts of being on a vacation whether it be at a normal you know actual real vacation in the real world or in a theme park is the moments when you have complete agency and decision to explore where you are and to do something you'd like to do and i I know that some people might respond and say that you do have that level of agency here but for example right uh coming back from epcot let's say you're staying at the boardwalk Mm -hmm. and you pop into a bar and you sit at the bar and you have a conversation with the bartender, right? Or you walk around the water and go into one of the, the shops that are, are open all night. That level of agency is particularly 
valuable. Mm -hmm. And obviously you're not like locked into your storyline here in the, the galactic star cruiser, but I wonder, I wonder this and I can't comment because I haven't done it, how alive the ship actually feels mm -hmm. in a way that doesn't feel artificial. True. Right. So like, you know, it's really cool that you can watch a, uh, a, a star Wars universe, uh, music show during your dinner. That's really exciting. It's outlandish. It's shows that there are lives in this universe, but does it feel like you're just watching a theme park show about, you know, music in the universe? And that's really hard to do. It's not like, this isn't like something that they probably failed on. I don't know. Right. Uh, I don't know how I would do it, but one of the cool things about star Wars is that every character in the background of, um, uh, most likely cantina aren't watching Luke Skywalker, <laughs> yeah. right? They have, they're doing other things. They're talking to other people. And I, I wonder, you know, if I was caught in this situation, would I really be as excited to just follow down this story path? Or would I be wondering, you know, why can't I wake up at 1am and go down to the bar? Like, a, like a normal cruise ship. You apparently can. You apparently, you, you can. Yes, you can. Oh, well, mother <laughs> All right. Well, never mind. Sign me up. Yeah. Let's you see. didn't know that? The I mean, only, I knew the Okay, the only thing that is different is that there's barely anything going on while you're supposed to be in Batu. Right. So, I think uh no, no, I, I obviously I knew that you had free agency. I guess I just wonder I wonder what a trip on this thing would look like if you didn't want to be a Skywalker. And when I say Skywalker, I don't mean literally. I mean like, you know, there's like a big problem with the new Star Wars movies. And shows that everybody yeah, has to be Skywalker. Yeah, right. Right. Everybody has to be a main character. I wonder mm -hmm. what the experience is in this thing where you don't want to be a main character. And that is to say to go down to the bar and just have a drink instead of wanting to be an Imperial you know, spy. Mm -hmm. And I know that, that people would respond and the designers actually would probably say, well, why would you want that? You know, why don't you want to feel like a special character? But I do think one of the things that people value in like life and in theme parks <laughs> is the ability to just be a normal person mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and uh, i wonder how the storyline would work around that and apparently you can do that it's just if you're willing to pay to be able to do that i guess so yeah, yeah. I, to me you know imagine you you pay on a like like imagine i was about i was selling you like a cruise line right like right. we're gonna sell you a cruise ticket and then like when you showed up Without you knowing about it, you were given a little notebook by the captain and he said, Ryan, we need help. The engines are breaking. <laughs> it's like, I just want to be on vacation. But maybe mm -hmm. I, I think it, people who are into LARPing would be more into that True. than I would be. I think yeah. we've been talking about this for nearly a half hour. We really? Yeah. It's like old times. So, we yeah. need to <laughs> so I think we should probably move on at this point <laughs> um, to our main topic. What do you say? That sounds great. Okay, let's move on to our main topic where we will be jumping um, much more back in time. We're going to be going back to the Eisner era. Thank God. When it's time to fight crime, calling Dick Tracy, calling Dick Tracy. He's your man. Tracy, Tracy, Tracy. You mind if I call you Dick? Okay, boys, let's go. Tracy, take me with you. You're under arrest. I want more. You got a name? Kid. Kid? Kid. Walt Disney Pictures presents Warren Beatty. Make another pet. 
They waived their right to a phone call. As Dick Tracy. Aren't you gonna frisk me? Now that's what I call a dame. I think Tracy drives you crazy, doesn't he? Ah, when do we get Dick Tracy? Everywhere I turn, it's Tracy, Tracy, Tracy. This summer. Oh, Tracy, watch out! He's coming to a theater near you. I'm on my way. Dick Tracy. Here we are at our main topic uh, for Dick Tracy's Crime Stoppers. Um, I um, know what the answer is. I'm not going to even pretend like I don't know. But as a formality, I'm going to ask you, what do you know about Dick Tracy? Nothing at all. Nothing. <laughs> Warren Beatty got the. I know he. I know Warren Beatty directed it. Yes. What and, about the, uh, what about the character Dick Tracy? He's got a yellow outfit. Okay. <laughs> you know that. And he, there was a video game about him. That you played. And you, you, I did. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I didn't get very far, but. It's a really I, bad I video game. It's horrible. <laughs> okay. So this, this is an unbuilt attraction from the famous Disney decade. 1996. Dick Tracy's Crime Stoppers, combining state-of-the-art technology with a classic story from the past. Um, that is very interesting because it combines two things that became two different attractions. So let's uh, get right into it. What is it? Chester Gould came up with the idea of the detective character playing clothes Tracy based on U.S. federal agent Elliot Ness. And after some tweaking by the Chicago Tribune, New York News Syndicate, the comic strip Dick Tracy debuted in October 1931. The character immediately became popular during the Great Depression, being voted the third favorite comic strip character by adults. Merchandise can be found everywhere, and Tracy's foothold in popular culture was cemented. Despite cr criticism of violence and right-wing propaganda, Gould continued to write the strip until 1977 after a long run, which included the invention of the famous two-way wristwatch, Tracy's son marrying a beautiful alien from the moon who was subsequently killed off in an explosion. That was Moon Maid. And Tracy growing a mustache and gaining a 70s-era specific sidekick named Groovy Grove. <laughs> Otherwise, it usually consisted of the tough and intelligent police detective fighting crime, often from odd characters with cartoonish appearances such as Flat Top, Prune Face, Breathless Mahoney, Lips, and the infamous Big Boy. I want him dead! Both of them! I want this No Face dead, and I want Tracy dead. What's the matter? You bums forgot how to kill people? Doesn't your work mean anything to you anymore? Have you no sense of pride in what you do? No sense of duty? No sense of destiny? I'm looking for generals! What do I got? Foot soldiers! I want Dick Tracy dead! Despite Gould's retirement, the strip continued forward and a major feature film would soon be in the works. As first, it was set at Universal with Steven Spielberg producing and John Landis directing. Clint Eastwood was eyed to play Tracy despite Warren Beatty wanting badly to adapt the property. This version of the film fell through due to the script being received poorly and Landis leaving due to the infamous Twilight Zone film incident that resulted in Vic Morrow's death alongside two children and John Landis sucks. So, good, good. 
<laughs> Were you going to say something? Oh, I agree. I was like vocalizing some uh, agreement. John Landis sucks and his son sucks, and they both suck. <laughs> I would have to say that Max Landis probably sucks even more than John Landis. And Max uh, Landis is impressive. Yeah, everybody everybody tends to try to beat out their father. Mm, true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Beatty then acquired the ability to make the film, but clashed with producers and Universal, who sought to make a more violent and gritty movie, while Beatty wanted a campier homage to the 1930s strips. Universal relinquished the rights to Paramount, who forced Beatty out and tried making a lower-budget version, and failed. With the film rights in limbo, Beatty bought them himself for $3 million. Luckily, at the time, Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg moved from Paramount to Walt Disney Studios and saw a new blockbuster live-action franchise. Beatty was set to direct, produce, and star and got a green line in 1988 as Eisner saw the potential success of Warner's Batman coming down the pipeline, which was also based on a 30s comic strip about a crime fighter. When Batman became an enormous smash success in 1989, Eisner's hope for Dick Tracy skyrocketed and immediately planned a massive advertising blitz as well as presence in the theme parks. And now, let's go back to the Disney MGM Studios and rejoin Dick Tracy co-star Charlie Corsmo. Welcome back to the Disney MGM Studios. Now, you know I'm not partial or anything, but I think one of the best attractions here is the Dick Tracy stage show. It's just like the movie. Big boy mumbles and flat tops all get theirs in the end. As a matter of fact, if you listen real carefully, I think you just might hear someone calling Dick Tracy. While the parks would debut with shows in 1990, most prominently Dick Tracy's Diamond Double Cross, a musical review, <laughs> and the reason why it was a musical review is because Stephen Sondheim wrote many songs for Dick Tracy um, because the movie uh, takes place and it's about Big Boy and his club. And he has, I believe it was Breathless Mahoney, who's played by Madonna. She sings a lot of these Sondheim songs, especially sooner or later in the actual um, film itself. So they used that to frame a musical show. Sooner or later you gonna be mine Sooner or later you gonna be mine uh, An e-ticket was in the plans for Disney, MGM Studios, and Disneyland. The ride would be named Dick Tracy's Crime Stoppers, which is a reference to a club started by Tracy's son Jr. in the comic strips that would soon become a real movement. And it would be a tour de force for the time. So, combining two pieces of technology in development at Imagineering, the attraction would take place on an enhanced motion vehicle with Tommy guns affixed to the windows. The show building was placed in the South Side warehouse from the film on a waterfront section portraying Chicago called Chicagoland, approximately where the stadium for Fantasmic sits today. And if you know Disney Hollywood Studios, they have a waterway nearby, you know, where the boats travel. So they would actually be using that waterway for the effect. Kind of neat, kind of really clever there. 
I guess it would be assigned as junior detectives doing a ride-along with Tracy, climbing into 30 sedan vehicles with a Tommy gun strapped to the side of the vehicle. At this point, the idea of the show became a bit fractured in terms of history. So seemingly early on, the idea would be that guests would swerve around the Chicago cityscape bathed in the primary colors of the film as these giant sets surrounded them. And audio-animatronic representations of various Dick Tracy villains would pop out and the guests would, quote-unquote, fight back by firing their automatic guns. And if you could see the uh, photo there, you could see all those grotesque villains from the film and like all their prosthetics made them look like they were from the comic strip. It was that looks horrifying. Yeah, it's it's not very pleasant. Um, I think they went a little bit too literal in the film <laughs> itself. Uh, now the antagonists in Dick Tracy may appear grotesque, outfitted with numerous prosthetics, but there's little doubt these are supposed to resemble human beings. Imagineer Kevin Rafferty seemed to catch on to this early. And when pitching to Michael Eisner, he not only claimed that the Tommy gun was a fun gun, but we wouldn't fire at people but objects instead. And he did this because Michael Eisner hates guns. That's kind of refreshing for a CEO because, mm. especially considering some CEOs nowadays are a little bit more conservative. And hey, 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 hey. We're have- just trying not to be political, right? <laughs> I'm just saying, wouldn't be surprised if Ch- Bob Chapek uh, ha- was a card-carrying member of the NRA. Uh, what if all the evil people with all the money don't come to our Star Wars hotel? Hmm. Guests would fire at trash cans, street lamps, boxes, windows, etc. to scare the antagonists, but somehow never actually be able to fire directly at the animatronics itself. Whenever an object with a target would be fired upon, an effect would trigger much like the Frontierland shooting gallery. Eisner loved the pitch, and a mock-up was done in a Burbank warehouse. Imagineering rented a 30 sedan just like in the pitch and created sets that were apparently incredible, according to Kevin. At one point, Eisner even tried to sell the Oriental Land Company on the project, inviting the executives and their wives to the warehouse. Um, For some background, the Oriental Land Company owns Tokyo Disneyland and Tokyo Disney Sea, and anything that Imagineering wants to build over there, they actually have to sell to them first. The wives of the executives, in particular, had a great time shooting the Tommy guns, which is a great story. Uh, Supposedly, the attraction itself would have been massive, but fairly simple. Various set pieces in the Chicago slums would occur as Tracy is present, similar to the Indiana Jones adventure, you know, being represented by an animatronic. Tracy is trying to track down a big boy communicating to your car after every shootout. Eventually, you reach a warehouse for an epic showdown with Big Boy Caprice, who's played by Al Pacino in the film, as he is blown away by a series of explosions set off by guests shooting at flammable barrels. And in the concept art, you can see some of those um, city streets and slums that you'd be driving through. It's kind of like um, the gangster scene from The Great Movie Ride. Right, that's kind of what I was thinking there, Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Uh, we roll back in the loading dock and with Tracy thanking us and making us official deputy crime stoppers. Uh, so what what are your thoughts on the attraction so far? Well, I, so far, it seems like obviously, you know, let's, let's for a moment pretend that Dick Tracy isn't as irrelevant as he is today. Mm. 
Um, <laughs> it's it seems like exactly what you just said. Uh, something with the thematic complexity of the great movie ride, but this time more interactive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you always see shooter dark rides are often like the cheapest. They very rarely do you see a. I mean, obviously, I mean, I guess I should say in Disney, but shooter dark rides are often very cheap. They have very limited animatronics. They have very limited effects, and I think mm-hmm. given by the concept art. And by the 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 depth of the, uh, the the sets, according to Rafferty, this would have been a pretty refreshing take on what is a kind of typically cheap genre of theme park ride. Well, remember that type of theme park ride didn't even exist. Well, that's right. Yeah, right. Because this would be before any of the the classic Correct. shooter attractions that mm-hmm. we have nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's the interesting thing, and uh, we'll we'll get into more of that. But first, let's talk about why it was not built. So Michael Eisner had high hopes for Dick Tracy. It had a plum June 1990 release date, a soundtrack featuring the biggest pop star at the time, Madonna, with songs by Tony-winning composer Stephen Sondheim, rest in peace, starring Warren Beatty and Al Pacino alongside, again, Madonna in her first blockbuster role. It had a Danny Elfman score who did Bratman the previous year, a similar gothic noir look with dark, vibrant primary colors, and a heavy push on midnight preview screenings, which was actually rare at the time. Now, in the show notes, you can see there is a shirt there and a promotion. So fans could get this very ugly shirt to see them film at midnight, creating a faux sensation that never truly appeared. You can see <laughs> that this shirt has a ticket on it. It says, admit one, 12.01 a.m., Friday, June 15th. Dick Tracy, I was there first. And you, if you bought this shirt, and they sold $1.5 million in shirt sales. So I imagine you probably could find the shirt on eBay. Uh, but if you bought this shirt, you could get him free for the midnight showing of it. I don't know. I don't even think it would be worth it. <laughs> and it's so funny. The entire shirt just has an image of Dick Tracy firing a Tommy gun. <laughs> yeah, Lovely. It, it's... Well, it's a it's a lovely shirt that, at least in the image, is not doesn't look like it's centered, um, <laughs> and it's a really really horrible thing. <laughs> exactly. And did you know where they held the premiere of Dick Tracy? I don't. You don't. All I, right. I don't even. Know. I barely know what Dick Tracy is. If I'm going to be okay. honest with you. Did you know this was the first premiere ever held at Walt Disney World? At the ple- at then it was called the Pleasure Island Multiplex AMC. Interesting. Mm-hmm. By the way, you can get this shirt on eBay for twenty two ninety five. That's wow. Then you don't even get a free copy of Dick Tracy to boot. <laughs> you can bring it up to your your AMC theater, and you can beg mm-hmm. them to let you into the next showing of Dick Tracy. Right. Uh, the opening weekend amounted to 22 million, far below Batman's 40 million take the previous year. The film ultimately grossed barely over 100 mil domestic, and worldwide earnings were less than half of Batman's. In trying to create a franchise equivalent to the Cape Crusader, Dick Tracy fizzled out, and so did the plans for the Crime Stopper attraction. So yeah, it didn't work, and then Michael Eisner tried again for a big franchise with the Rocketeer in 1991. And that also failed. So zero for two, Michael. Sorry. But what if? What if Dick Tracy was just as popular as Batman 1989? Uh, Would this attraction have occurred? And what would happen to like 
Indiana Jones, Dinosaur, Buzz Lightyear. And could they even make this work? So, so what, what is your opinion uh, as somebody who's never seen Dick Tracy? Well, what if Dick Tracy was a massive hit? That's an even broader question because I wouldn't understand why. But well, it, let's say the attraction was built, right? And something with as complicated of a, of a ride machine, right, was built in tandem with the shooter. I think that in hindsight, knowing what we know now about this ride system, adding another variable is a bad idea. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Indiana Jones and Dinosaur are not necessarily the most reliable attractions at the parks. It's a particularly complicated system, and I wonder if adding the variable of also having to be a uh, a nice, fun shooter gallery ride, mm-hmm. would, how it would have worked. That being said, had they actually done a shooting gallery ride that had genuine effort in it and was like any other dark ride, but this time now with a more active presence in the role of the audience, I think we probably wouldn't have seen something like Buzz Lightyear. Hmm. Uh, I don't. I don't think they would have dumped, dropped down as low, perhaps. If this that's had a great point, hit the bat from the beginning. Um, you know, people would be like, if if they opened Buzz Lightyear post this, they would say, "Well, this is fun, but there's that other one right down the street, and it's perhaps a little bit more." active and engaging mm-hmm. than than the simple shooter. You know, the simplicity of a shooter ride banks on the fact that that's the only place that you can get a shooting gallery in a dark ride. Uh, but right. if you could get it better next door, well, why why not go over there? Mm-hmm. And also people would have to like Dick Tracy, but we're assuming it was a massive <laughs> hit, I think. Here. Okay, so good points all around. The thing about it is that I think that this is a rare situation in where nothing about this would have ever worked period in my opinion the fact is is that i, I i've seen dick tracy it, it's on it's on hbo max oh, and no i watched it a couple of years back i've also seen batman 1989 now what's your opinion on batman it's fine it's I fine like, it looks cool i like how mm-hmm. it looks i don't remember i i've seen it once or twice before but it it's a uh, it's okay I like how it looks a lot, though. It's it's definitely has that noir, the stylized noir down pretty well. Did it strike you as entertaining? Uh, <laughs> no, I strike me it was as good. fantastical. I didn't say, I didn't, yeah, I didn't ask you if it was good. Was it entertaining? Enough. Enough. Uh, yeah, it was. It was entertaining enough. Sure. The thing about Dick Tracy is that it looks great. It really looks great. It really does. The prosthetics are really cool, even if it's grotesque. Al Pacino is amazing at it. He gives the most crazy performance to the point where he was nominated for an Academy Award for it. Good for him. Yeah, exactly. He was nominated for an Academy Award for it. The problem is, is that the rest of the movie is very slow. It's quite boring in places. And it, it, it's, it's kind of like has intermittent points through it but it's just not something that kids would really take to i i don't even think it's about the like the relevance of dick tracy itself as a character i think the problem inherently is the fact that the actual film itself is not as action-packed it's it's not as paced well i mean this is a film directed produced by warren Beatty, who who made reds you know it's not by tim burton who made peewee's big adventure <laughs> it's it's a little bit of a difference in what's 
I hate to say it, but more toyetic or even, you know, kid, kid centric or kid appealing, which really is what Michael Eisner is trying to go for. It's, it's not as strong as a summer blockbuster as you would picture it being. So while it has all the marketing sheen on the surface as an actual film, it's just not up to snuff. So you, you have that barrier as well. And, you know, you can enter a world where somehow this becomes a hit. I mean, we talked about a few week, uh, a few weeks ago about Oz the Great and Powerful and somehow be, despite all odds, it still made a lot of money. Um, so it's not like you have to be a particularly good movie in order to make money. So I don't think that's a huge barrier. The other barrier to me is you've been on both indie and Dinosaur. Could you imagine on both attractions having to fire a gun and aim? Right, absolutely. That right. I mean, there's a reason why those attractions have the little metal bars on the top, right? Right. Or on the side. You're supposed is to that for, Well, right. For most people, those kind of rides are a little too active. You know, to the, the not maybe not for most people, but for a good bit of people, it is a, a, a active ride system that intentionally tries to shock you back and forth. I would imagine, though, that this wouldn't be nearly as shaky mm -hmm. uh, just because of the context like you're driving on the street you know more right. than a uh, uh, a rocky road mm -hmm. but yeah adding another variable to that experience requiring hyper focus prime precision on a ride vehicle that's explicitly designed to give you a bit of a jostling seems exactly right. counterintuitive mm -hmm. now have you ever been to a six flags that has the justice league attractions <laughs> I have not. You have not. Okay. So I've been on it at Six Flags Magic Mountain. And, you know, it, it's kind of like incredible that like out of any of the theme park chains that Six Flags would be the ones to finally have one of these. But mm -hmm. it is a Sally Dark ride that marries a motion simulator with a shooting ride. Now, the difference between all of this is that, you know, since it's today and it's not like 20 30 years ago you can make a motion simulator that is much more smooth and much more nimble to where you know you can do two at once whereas i always feel like the enhanced motion vehicles are supposed to replicate the motion first and the feeling of being out of control uh, to the point where i don't even know why they were using the enhanced motion vehicle tech to begin with maybe it would have been better hell with something like the test track tech which still was kind of like years away but especially you know since you're supposed to be like in a sedan car and stuff like that i think i think that would be really kind of cool if you took the test track technology and and married it with shooting gallery i think that yeah would be cool. yeah because changing the speed, I think, of the vehicle is fine. Mm -hmm. It's when you change the the, the axes, the motion right. across mm -hmm. multiple axes as you're moving forward that it becomes a little it's, – it's going to be a little bit difficult to adjust to, especially if this was the first shooting gallery ride. Right. Or one of the first people would be encountering. And when I think about – when I think about Indiana Jones and – dinosaur like the first thing i think about uh, what the what the ride profile feels like it feels like you're on uh a bucking bronco like you're on one of those um what are they called we 
review the stupid uh, jingle all the way to and Larry the Cable Guy goes on one of those. Oh, the electric bulls? Or? Yeah, yeah, the electric yeah. bull. Yeah, one of those. It feels like that because you're going back, whoa, 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 and you're going forward, down, 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 down. So it always felt like that instead of something that you're supposed to be zooming along in like a car and the idea i guess that he wanted to be is like you're on a car that kind of like tips over to the side sort of you know like as if if it was in like a comic strip and stuff like that and i i get the the appeal of that it just doesn't seem like a great idea especially when you're trying to aim this tommy gun which is the other point i like to talk about it's a tommy gun if this attraction was actually built there's no way this would even come even be open past 2000 no absolutely i absolutely not the the, the moral panic of giving kids a a laser uh, uh, even a, a tommy gun with a laser at the bottom would be far too much to right i mean the second that people are using automatic rifles to murder children in schools is the fact where the Disney company goes, um, maybe we shouldn't um, put these in children's hands at our theme parks. Yeah, you know, if if, if Pirates of the Caribbean was changed and uh, the shooting gallery at Frontierland was, for a moment, like put under question, uh, mm-hmm. I think that this would have been, it would have been a little odd. And their initial hesitation towards shooting the actual villains or the enemies is i think a justified one yeah and uh, the question is like how would you do that how would you ensure that people not shoot the guns and i i guess the fact is that like the original buzz lightyear magic kingdom uh the guns would be affixed so you couldn't like Mm. put them in your hand like the um disneyland version but instead they're they're affixed so you have it bolted down and maybe if the animatronics were not in a place where you could aim it maybe in that situation you'd be able to get away with it but that would be such a complicated design that you would have to be imagining like you'd have to test everyone for where the periphery of the gun could be it just seems like it'd be more i don't know like if you aim at that specific target you get like a a sound in your Mm -hmm. gun that sounds like a jammed something you know like a just that it would it would be a different kind of target altogether uh, that wouldn't register right. even the firing of the bullet mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, yeah, to me, I, I think that's certainly yeah. a fair point that there would be a massive moral panic if this ride was open uh, in general. This was supposed to be open at Disney MGM Studios in 1996 and open at. Disneyland in a unbuilt attraction we'll be talking about in the future called Hollywoodland. That was a Main Street expansion in 1999, which again would mean the Indiana Jones adventure might not exist. Right. And God, mm, I couldn't imagine the Indiana Jones adventure not existing in favor of a Dick Tracy ride. It would be a massive trade off. Especially, I mean, yeah. unless the designs of the inside were actually that amazing, which they definitely could have been, uh, mm. I think I think it would have been a pretty bad trade off to to lose Indiana Jones compared to something like Dick Tracy. I mean, that's just because I, I, you know, Dick Tracy doesn't speak to me though. <laughs> right? You mean you barely um, know what it is, and even like, even if I were to tell you after this podcast, you're not going to actively seek it out. It's not like I praised it massively. Right. I mean, I, I, yeah. Exactly. If you want, if you want to appreciate one of the last gasps of of uh, map paintings, 
you're more than welcome to watch Dick Tracy. Oh, in that case, if you want, case, that, if yeah. you want to appreciate Al Pacino, you can watch Dick Tracy. If you yeah. want, to, if you want to appreciate, if you want to appreciate prosthetics in films, and a like once again, this is like one of the last big practical movies you will see is mm. this film. If you want to see Warren Beatty get his lights taken out by jumping on a lamppost and hitting himself on the lamppost, which is a really funny clip. I'd recommend watching the YouTube video of that, but you can also (laughs) watch Dick Tracy. Look, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I think that the, the one thing that is interesting about this ride might be the technology, but it's not, doesn't look like it would be successful. Mm -hmm. And even more appropriately, the similarities, of course, to the the great movie ride. Not that it's like similar at all, but that there already is a gangster noir scene that would be mm-hmm. in the park. It doesn't necessarily bring a negative to the ride, but it does make me think that, okay, this wouldn't be the most original ride, and it wouldn't be the best designed uh, gal- gallery concept that mm-hmm. somebody could have done. Yeah. I don't know what the benefit would be. And the only case that I can imagine this thing being particularly interesting is one where Dick Tracy becomes a cultural phenomenon. And we live so far away from that universe that I can't even like conceive <laughs> of what that would have looked like. Right. And it's, it's easier to ask what if the Rocketeer was more successful? Like if we did so, yeah. And from my knowledge, there was never a Rocketeer ride pitched. There hmm. might have been, but I have no knowledge of it. And if you know of one and you have the pitch and you have concept art, please, by all means, send it to me at unbuiltpod or unbuiltpod at gmail.com. Please, absolutely, I would love to see it because that is a film that I could see being successful. But mm. Dick Tracy still, like even with the advertising blitz, and they, they tried hard. They tried hard. They wanted this to be the next Batman. And I don't think it would have ever made it. I don't see the universe where it did make it. Like you said, it's in a universe so far away I couldn't imagine it. And you're absolutely correct there. It is hard to even imagine the what if because it seems almost improbable. Everything is stacked against this attraction. It feels like it was a better idea than on paper than set out in reality. For sure. Mm, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, I mean, I know we've already sort of said it. But we do have to ask the question of build it or not. Um, so go ahead. Tell me why it shouldn't be built. <laughs> I, it, why it shouldn't be built? Because mm. there's something interesting about a inside dark noir dark ride that would be particularly fascinating. But as a concept, as a simple concept, looking strictly at the technology, the motion vehicle and shooting gallery would be a particularly difficult sell. I don't think most guests would enjoy it. And if they did do it, they would have to sacrifice so much of either concept to make the other work Agreed. that yeah. the synthesis isn't there. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to make a good shooting gallery, you have to move less. And if you want to move more, you can't really emphasize the shooting gallery. Mm-hmm. It's so spot on right there. Right. And so I think in, in that understanding that, ignoring even the concept of Dick Tracy, I think this ride would have been an interesting experiment, but a pretty massive mistake. So, 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 do not build this ride. Yeah, I would have to say you can't pick or choose 
you know, we always ask this question, you know, it's like, oh, with a caveat, but it's like, well, no, this is the attraction that they're giving us. And this is an attraction that we know that wasn't built, you know, and you hit the nail on the head. It's like, you have to make some sort of compromise. And that's probably what they would have eventually done. They would have eventually made a compromise, but they never got to that yet. So I would have to say, don't build it because I think it would have been a massive failure in so many directions uh it would have been the first e-ticket failure i guess what would you say like an e-ticket failure is like no no, does, no I, th- I think you're 100 percent yeah, right I mean, does it really exist i guess you could say that mission space is a bit of an e-ticket failure but even superstar limo that wasn't meant to be like an e-ticket e-ticket mm-hmm. failures are rare Right. And, and that's because you're investing so much capital into something that you can't necessarily risk it being a failure. Right. And and even even more so, these things tend to be enjoyable, right? You you mm-hmm. you emphasize that it is an enjoyable thing before you go on and make the specifics. Right. So this I think would be wholly unenjoyable, which might be yeah, that's right. I would definitely be leaning towards a failure. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, the history of Dick Tracy is probably much more interesting if you've ever researched into it and crazy uh, than this attraction probably ever would be. And it's it's a really cool idea for one. And it is one from like that giant Disney decade list that people go on a lot, like with Roger Rabbit's Hollywood, for instance. Again, a lot of this podcast is sometimes looking at something that people have like a passing familiarity with and thinking that would have been cool. But when you really inspect it and look at it, you find yourself going, maybe not so much. Absolutely. And, and, and I think that is one, unfortunately one of the cases here. You know, I was thinking back like on our, you know, podcasts that we've done so, uh, so far, we say don't build it more than we do. Have you, uh, have you ever wanted to build something? I can't even remember if you've ever said you wanted to build. <laughs> oh, I, definitely. I don't know yeah. off the top of my head, but I, I, I know I've definitely said to build a couple things. I think I said, um, I think I said the the drop tower and uh, the one that we talked about a couple weeks ago. I think yeah. I said we should build that. Mm-hmm. I think we. I think without a doubt, if I remember correctly, I said we should build uh, Discovery Bay. No, you I said no. I said no. Oh my you goodness. said no because you said the island at the top of the world was boring as hell. Oh yeah. Well, that was all right. All right. That was, <laughs> this is special circumstance. You can see how sad I was. Watching that movie, I, 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 it's right now as I'm speaking, as I'm speaking to you, Brian. I'm going onto the Stitcher and looking at the episodes, and I'm like, did I build any of this? Oh, let's see. Wow, yeah, you need to take some better rides here, Ryan. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Well, we got some Muppet good Studios. Stuff I didn't up. say yes to Muppet Studios. You did. I think you did. Yeah. Okay. All right. There we go. And uh, yeah, wow, that's pretty sad. <laughs> Man, well, I thought I was well, like I was like we could. I thought we were gonna do a show that was like less news. I thought I was gonna be less cynical. I was like, this is time to show my humanitarian side <laughs> that I actually care about the art. And now all I say is that sucks. Don't open it. <laughs> well, I mean, the fact is, is that there's probably a reason why a lot of things don't get built, which is absolutely the point of this podcast. You know, yeah. Um, but I'm sure, I'm sure there's there's a lot of great stuff. That we will talk about in that I can't imagine you saying don't build because from what we get instead, it is a real shame. 
<laughs> but I think that uh, takes it for us for Dick Tracy's Crime Stuffers. Anything else you have left to say? Oh, you've like completely given me an existential crisis. Now you want me to talk? <laughs> I, I think that it is absolutely amazing to build more rides that have physical effects and physical sets and really puts you in a brilliant experience. It's just that the technology on this one wouldn't have worked. Would maybe a Dick Tracy ride have worked with uh, with uh, without the shooting gun? Maybe. But yeah. I, I think this is just another case of them getting a little too overzealous mm-hmm. on trying to fit as much innovation as they possibly can in something that might not have needed it. True. That, that is very true. With that said, in the meantime, please follow us on social media on Twitter at UnbuiltPod. You can reach me at Open Mother's Mail and Ryan Dorman at Open the Dorman. Feel free to email us at unbuiltpod at gmail.com and rate us on Stitcher, iTunes, and Anchor or wherever you find this podcast. Please write a review and tell us how we're doing. And if you don't like us, thank you for listening to the Kid Flicks. I'm Ross Weissman. Have a great day. See you guys.